Why would they think we should go somewhere that hasn't heard this yet? Now, this is not a trick question. Why would somebody do that? Seems kind of arrogant, doesn't it? They need to hear. Because what if, what if this, what if when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, nobody comes to the Father but by me. What if when he said that it was true, which by the way, I believe it was. I think these people started to understand this is the truth for the whole world. And maybe that's why when Jesus, when he departed after he'd been resurrected, he said, take this gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but then he says, and to the ends of the earth. Here we are, one of the farthest places away from Jerusalem you could probably get, on the other side of the globe. We're talking about this same good news. How did it get to us? It all started in Antioch when they decided by the Spirit to take the gospel to other places. I've been hinting about this for a little bit. We were talking about um, this church in Antioch. There were some things we talked about there. It all started with a good man named Barnabas. And you might remember why I said a good man named Barnabas. He's the only guy that Luke describes as a good man. And so that's Barnabas. Good man. He gives some advice. He says, with a with purpose of heart, cleave to the Lord. That's what he told this church in Antioch that had just started. We talked about that last week. And this church in Antioch, they're, they're already spreading the gospel around this, just this grassroots evangelism, just taking it's unbiased. They show brotherly love. They have a very diverse, multicultural leadership. We talked about that last week as well. And they begin to pray, Lord, what do you want us to do? And as they're worshiping and praying, they begin to take the gospel out. There's a lot of things that we can learn. Some of them are purely historical. In fact, as I was sitting down here a moment ago, thinking about coming up here and sharing this with you, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of this stuff that's really interesting. Okay, and so I try to throw in some pictures of some historical places as I'm going. So I'm going to try to throw up some of there. But I had to think for myself, what, that, that's interesting. But what about you? I mean, this is history. History might be enjoyable to you. Some of you might go, not really so much. I think most of you, it's pretty fascinating. But what are we going to learn from this? And so I want to share my first quote of the day. Uh, Tony Merida, again, says this. He says, while these missionary journeys throughout Acts have particular relevance for international missions or international missionaries, people who across, people who cross the street to bear witness to Jesus can also find much instruction and inspiration in these moving narratives. So how does this apply to you? Well, it's possible God may decide with one of you to say, you know, there's this place that has not yet been reached. You should go there. That's possible. I've heard stories of people in their 50s and 60s that God called to be missionaries. Okay, so don't go, no, it's too late, I'm too old. But regardless... There are people in this town, and maybe literally across the street from you, that don't understand the fullness of the gospel. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, surely everybody's heard about Jesus, but I'm going to tell you there's a lot of wrong understandings about Jesus in our world. So there's things that you can learn about missions and your mission as we read these stories. So let me go back to Acts 13. Let's start with verse, verses 1, 2, and 3, which we talked about last week. I'm just going to read through these. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, 
Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So very diverse leadership. Perfect church for taking the gospel to multiple nations. Diverse leadership here. And it says, while they were worshiping, so while they were doing this, okay, which means that they, this wasn't just a new thing they decided to do one day, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, those two guys, for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying again, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This was a common practice, this worshiping and fasting. I joked about this last week. Maybe I ought to take this as a recommendation. Okay, uh, we got a church gathering coming up, and instead of saying, hey, we have food, we're going to have no food at all. You guys in for that? <laughs> I think some of you would be. That's what this church was doing. They were burdened by this good news. I mean, Jesus came and he died on the cross to rescue people from their sins. Everybody could be saved from their sins. And they had to have been thinking, there's places that don't know anything about this. So they're sitting and they're, they're worshiping God, just thanking him for this. But they're, fat, they're abstaining from food to kind of hone in and focus on what does God want us to do. So this is what they're doing in the spirit in that moment, in this, this culture of this church that is abstaining from food, the Spirit speaks to them and says, Barnabas and Saul, I've got a job for them, a work for them to do. And so they get the message, but then what do they do? Fast and pray some more. I think possibly to say, what, how, what does this look like? How do you want us to do this? What are we going to do? How are we going to support this? So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... Luke reminds us again who's doing the sending. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So we're reminded once again, this is the Holy Spirit sending them out. All missions, I think, need to be empowered by the Spirit. The church had all agreed. In fact, in that previous verse when it says, they laid their hands on them, that they is most likely referring not just to the prophets and teachers, but to the church. The whole church gathered around. I can just picture this whole church gathering around. We're going to send... And I think... How, how would we feel about it? I mean, Barnabas and Saul, they're, they're the two key people that got us going. Remember this church in Antioch, when it first started, they sent up Barnabas to help, and then Barnabas went and got Saul and brought Saul back. And so, can you imagine this church going, we're going to let go of two of our most prominent, important teachers. I think they do it with a joyful willingness. Yes, this gospel has to go. So They send them off, they pray for them. I have here a picture of Seleucia. Um, this is a Roman port. This is all that's left of it. I think you can see right here this little bit that's left sticking out here. This is the port that that this is referring to. I don't know. I think some of these pictures are neat because I, I start to picture like Saul and Barnabas coming down over this hill, seeing the port. Would have looked a little bit different. Had some Roman vessels in the port getting ready to set sail. This was the port that Antioch primarily used. In fact, I'm going to put up a map here so you can get an idea. So this is, Israel is down in this area, below Syria. Antioch right here, about 15 miles, this little stretch right here, 15, 20 miles from Antioch to Seleucia, this port. And this is the main port that the big city Antioch would use if people were going to set sail somewhere across the Roman Empire. And so what we're going to see, this is representing Paul's first missionary journey. So they're going to set sail from here and they're going to go to this island of Cyprus. 
They're going to land here first at Salamis. That's what we're going to read about. So they're going to sail to Cyprus. It's about a 60-mile journey uh, over the Mediterranean Sea from Seleucia to Cyprus. Cyprus, the, the island, is about 140 miles long. That's going to be important later, about 60 miles wide. And if you remember, in fact, if you were in Sunday school this morning, the first mention of Barnabas said Barnabas was from, guess where? Cyprus. This makes sense that he's going, doesn't it? I think that's perfect sense. He probably knew some people, knew some connections. There had been some, if we go back to chapter 11, there had been some Christian work going on in Cyprus. There had been some Christians that were have made it to Cyprus. And so they're going out and they set sail. When they arrive at Salamis, they proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Now this is the John, that's John Mark. Um, his mom was the one where when Peter was let out of prison, uh, they went to John Mark's mom's house. That's where the church was meeting at the time. So this John has come along with them to assist them, most likely with some teaching and preaching, right? Young guy, you can just picture Barnabas and Saul. They're trying to help him along, bring him to this place. And since uh, John was Barnabas's cousin, you think John probably had some family members in Cyprus as well? Yeah, obviously so. It makes sense, so he goes along on the journey. I have a picture here of uh, uh, Salamis. This is some ruins that are in Salamis. Uh, interesting little side note here. I want to go down for just a moment. The word synagogue, the word synagogue doesn't have to mean a building. When we say synagogue, what do you, don't you think of a building, kind of like a Jewish church? You think of a building. The word synagogue just means a gathering, an assembly of people. Right? You think about the word. In fact, the Greek word for synagogue. Um, that's translated synagogue is synagogue. Okay, so it's it's a it's a word that's just they just transliterated it over. So the, a synagogue, you think synchronize something, bringing things together, right? Synagogue is just this gathering together of people. And so when I was talking about this yesterday with my wife, uh, we were talking about this synagogue. Like, how is it possible? And this isn't a synagogue here, but here's a uh, a picture of one from Capernaum. Okay. So they, it's obviously in ruins now, but somebody's drawn this is probably what it looked like. So a synagogue um, came to be known as the building, but initially it was just known as an assembly. So the, the Jews that weren't in Jerusalem, they would want places where they could get together to read the Bible, to read the Torah. And so they would come together to do this. And so the Jews, that's what they would do in these far straight... And there was a big Jewish population in uh, Salamis on Cyprus. So there's this Jewish population, and so they had synagogues. Right, that were there, little assemblies that would get together to read through the Old Testament scriptures. And so my wife said, well, well, how did Paul get to talking in these things? You imagine if, you know, we had a church and somebody just came in and then started talking, that would be kind of odd, wouldn't it? But one of the things about these assemblies, right, they would get together, and I think Paul had something going for him. Paul was trained by Gamaliel, okay, a Pharisee. So it's quite possible that if once they knew where he had come from, Jerusalem, they might it'd be like if a celebrity pastor came in here and had been trained by some famous you know, theologian. We'd go, do you have anything to share? Saul, I think, knew what he was doing. There's a couple things at work here. Saul begins to set a pattern through all of his missionary journeys. He would always go to the Jews first before he would go to the Gentiles. I think there's some interesting reasons for that. Here's another picture of a uh, potential home synagogue. And so you can see the people sitting down here and and uh, what would happen is they would gather together, there'd be some Bible reading, but then there'd be opportunities for people to share different things from Scripture. And this is where Paul would sneak in with the gospel message. Kind of tricky, I thought. John Mark is assisting them. 
It says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, which is going to be on the other end, I'll show you the map again in just a moment, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of. So there's this, now it's, he's not saying he's the son of the Jesus. Jesus was a fairly common name. So this is a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, kind of weird. He was with the proconsul. This is the guy that rules all of the island of Cyprus. Proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, it says. So you got this smart guy, right? He's got his, his, uh, one of his consultants is this Bar Jesus individual. Um, he summons Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he wants to hear what's going on. I, I wanted to throw out there a picture. This is a picture of a road on Cyprus. So, I, I don't know, I just thought this was neat because then I started thinking about, well, Saul and Barnabas with John Mark, if they walk from one end of the island to the other, which is about 140 miles, this may have been part of the road that they walked on. That's kind of cool, isn't it? But that's what they do. They, they start at one end, they work their way to the other end. I imagine all along the route, they're preaching the word of God, sharing what they find other synagogues, they're sharing these things. Go back to the map here, you can see that's what they did. They started in Salamis and they make their way over. Paphos is actually the capital of uh, this island of Cyprus. But there notice there were two important individuals that were mentioned in this story. Bar-Jesus and Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. Now, Bar-Jesus has another name we see in the next verse. It says, but Elymas, the magician, that, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. So same guy. He opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, why do you think he's doing this? Obviously, he's a false prophet, but do you think he sees his influence slipping away? If he's been there as a false prophet, it would, I, and I picture him like slipping some words into the proconsul's ears, you ought to do this, and you ought to do this, and this magician thing, he was probably divining the black arts, so to speak. In other words, he's, he's giving him his fortune, those sorts of things. He kind of has some influence on this proconsul. And so when he sees Paul and or Saul still at this point and and uh, Barnabas sharing this gospel message, what does he do? He's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute!" And he opposes them. But Saul, who was also called Paul, finally, for those of you who've been here the last few weeks, I've been waiting for this so I could stop switching back and forth between Saul and Paul who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. I'm going to have to use this one of these days. I don't know who. He said, you son of the devil, which is interesting though, because the guy's name went son of Jesus. And so he points out, and what's he call him? He goes, instead of saying, you son of Jesus, he says, you son of the devil. And he's identifying where, did it, where what the roots of this guy's teaching, uh, where, where that lies. You're, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? He goes on, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Harsh, Paul. But wait. What was one of the things that happened to Paul that brought him from opposing God to witnessing? What was it? Do you think there's a hint of hope in, in, in Paul's pronouncement on this man that, that maybe he sees this guy's clearly 
headed the wrong direction. Do you think that maybe in this pronouncement upon him, there's a little bit of hope that he thinks maybe it might take something drastic for this guy. It took something drastic for me. You think so? I think so. I think Paul has a gospel hope even in this pronouncement against this man. The proconsul then, there's another result the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, before I go any further, let's, let's start to pull some of these things. Because it, it, it's an amazing historical account. Remember, Luke is, Luke is writing this. He's sharing these things for a reason and for a purpose. I think one of the things we can draw from this is they head off on their first missionary journey. And I think that you can take with you as well is that, first of all, some will want to listen. You start talking about Jesus, there's going to be some that are, well, that's interesting. I'd like to hear some more. That's what the proconsul did. I'd like to hear some more. We're going to see that in almost every one of uh, Saul, Paul's missionary encounters. You're going to see some are going to go, I'd like to hear some more. I think that maybe you have experienced that as well. You're talking about Jesus. Sometimes people go, well, that's interesting, you know, and they want to hear a little bit more. Some will listen. Some will oppose. Some are going to oppose, and there's a lot of ways that can happen. Some will oppose, like this guy did, I think, by throwing in some alternate teachings, some false teachings. Maybe some of you have experienced that you're trying to talk to somebody about Jesus, and somebody maybe you're at the lunch table at your workplace, and you're sitting down, and this person, maybe they're hurting. And you, you start talking about the hope that's in Christ, and then this other person comes in and sits down, and, and they start popping in some other stuff, and you're going, oh no. Now, I don't think that my application today should be that in those moments that you go, you son of the devil, may you be blind for it. I don't think it. Maybe we should. I don't know. John's going. I'm just thinking of some interesting one-star That could be some, yeah. Can you imagine? Uh, you son of the devil. But I'm thinking about this, thinking, you know, there is something about what he does that maybe we're not going to make pronouncements like this. Maybe we could. I don't know, to be honest with you. I've never done anything like this. It's not without reason to think that it could be possible. I think that what we can say for sure is that when people oppose, we can trust that we can say, God, I want to put them in your hands. I may not know exactly, I don't... Saul, Paul, knew blindness. Maybe for you it's, God, you may need to take them through some tough, tough, deep, dark valleys. But God, do what's necessary. And I hope they turn to you. Very much in those moments, maybe not out loud, maybe you're not saying son of the devil. Maybe in your heart you can be saying, God, they're opposing the gospel. Could you shut them up? Could you stop that? Because this person is so close to hearing. Could you quiet them so I can speak the truth? I believe absolutely for many of you that's exactly what you ought to do. There's been a few times where, and I've never, like I said, said you son of a devil, but I've got some ideas now. I'm starting to think that could be, I don't know if that's the best approach. But maybe it is. 
a little bit more bold in our witness, knowing that Christ is on our side. But we see here one of the results. Some listen. Some will oppose. You know what? Sometimes people are going to believe it. Now I'm going to come back to this all because this is this is hugely important. Because I, as I as I study this, I thought to myself, I don't want any of you, and I don't want myself to ever become discouraged in our sharing of the gospel. I used to think somewhere in the back of my head that when I, when opposition came, I must be doing this wrong because surely if I was doing this right, even this person would believe. But that's just not true biblically. There's going to be people that oppose. And I don't want you to lose heart. There are some who will believe. Keep that thought in mind. It's interesting that this guy believes not from a miracle of healing, but from a different kind of boldness and a different kind of miracle. Now, I'm going to head on to stage two of this missionary journey. I'll show you the map in just a second. We're going to get to stage two, but that's as far as we're going to be able to get. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. We're going to talk more about this later, but uh, we know from other passages of Scripture that John, at this point, he it's not just, hey, he left, he abandons the mission. And we'll talk more about that later. He deserts the cause at this point. I know that maybe he was thinking, when I try to theorize what was going on, we have no idea. He was familiar with Cyprus, he had family there. You think going off to another Maybe even after seeing this opposition, maybe he thought, I don't know if I'm ready for this. We don't know. But at this point, John leaves the company. If we head back to our map here. So they've set off from Seleucia, made it to Salamis, crossed this, right? On foot, set sail up here to Perga. We're going to head up on up to here. Notice there's another Antioch. This is Antioch of Pisidia. Okay? Um, that's where we're going to head next. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, so picture them there, right? So they've come in after reading the Law and the Prophets. The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. I think Saul's going, Sure do. I got something. And then we're going to have this summary of what goes on here. So let's take a look at the next verse. So Paul, oh, and I lost my place here. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now I'm going to go through this sermon rather quickly. So just kind of sit back and listen. This is Paul's sermon in Antioch at the synagogue. Men of Israel and you who for God listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. So he starts off with things that they know. Goes all the way back to Egypt. When our forefathers went there, God made them great. And his grace with uplifted arm. So he starts setting this foundation of God's, God is gracious. God is a gracious God. With uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. If you know anything about Old Testament history, you'll know the put up with them. He was. He was putting up with a lot. 
And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years total. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet continued. God's grace in these things. And these people would have known these stories. God was gracious. Every time Israel was rebellious, God was gracious. And they were rebellious and God was gracious again and again and again. He gives them judges. Samuel the prophet comes along. And then what do they do? They ask for a king. If you know the story, they say, all the other nations have kings. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, because he was a horrible king, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, this is God speaking, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So, what's Paul doing? He's saying, this King David, which the Jews looked up to as the, the perfect picture of what a, the ideal king looked like. But David came up short so often. But he sets up this picture. And they looked at David as this picture of what the Messiah ought to be like. And they knew that from David's line, the ultimate king would come, come the Messiah. And so what is Paul doing with these Jews? He's saying, it's come true. Jesus came from the line of David. Before his coming, Jesus's, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. The coming Messiah was preceded by John. These Jews would have known that there was a prophet that would come before the Messiah. And so Paul is laying out this this. Fulfillment of Scripture. The next step in the salvation plan of God's grace. He says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. So think about what he's saying. So here they are. They They had just come together read the law. And so now as Paul is speaking, he says, the, the Jews in Jerusalem, they, heard, they were doing the same thing you were doing. They were hearing the law, but they misunderstood it because they misunderstood the Old Testament. What happened? They rejected their own Messiah and condemned Him to death. You know what I think Paul is doing with these people? Now? He's trying to get them to see, don't make the same mistake and reject Him now. The others missed it. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. This is not just some myth. The Greeks had many myths of people coming back from the dead. What Paul is doing here is saying this is not myth. There are witnesses who witnesses, eyewitnesses to this, that he rose from the dead. And we bring you the good news. That what God promised to the fathers, Messiah was coming. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, 
by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Laying out who this Messiah is from Scripture. He goes on, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. There is confusion about this with the Jews, like you will not let your holy one see. Well, could it be David? But David did what? Paul goes on, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So they couldn't have been talking about him. But he, whom God raised did, raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now, before I continue this, I, I hope that you get this. Has anybody been freed by being good? No. Many of you know this firsthand. You turn over a new leaf, try to do all the things. That doesn't eliminate what you've done. That doesn't eliminate what you end up doing, even in your attempts to be a better person. The law did not make them free from sin, and they knew it. In fact, Paul, in other places, he talks about the fact that the law actually condemned him. There were aspects that he didn't even know he was bad at until he read the law, and he goes, wow, I've been breaking that one all along. He says the phrase, sin came alive and I died. His was coveting. Have you ever coveted something? I'm doing pretty good. Have you ever just coveted something that wasn't yours? That's exactly what Paul talks about. Whoa, what? I'm guilty. I'm guilty of breaking the law. And here he's sharing with these people that would have understood this in a very fundamental way. Even though many of us, we try to profess, yeah, you got to do this, you got to do this to be a good person, you got to do this, you got to do this. Many of us know this reality. No matter how good we try to be, we know in the depths of our being, we're guilty. We're sinners. We come up short. And so the good news is that when Jesus came, he never came up short. And what does he do? He's, he offers my righteous life. You give me your sin. We'll make an exchange. That's the good news of the gospel. That suddenly, to be righteous before God is been taken out of your hands and out of your responsibility and given entirely over to the Messiah. So the Messiah came not just to bring political freedom, but to bring something even better. Freedom from sin for each and every person that simply says, I can't do it, I believe in Him. Paul is worried for them. These Jews, he knows he says, beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, he quotes, this is Isaiah 29, 14. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. 
think he's concerned for these Jewish people. He's burdened for them and he's pulling out all the stops. Don't fulfill this prophecy in yourselves by hearing it and just saying, I can't believe it. He's doing everything he can to kill the pride in their hearts so that they might believe. As they go out, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So there's a lot of people going, remember, many might listen. And this is exactly what's happening. They're, they're hearing it, they're going, this is good, this is good, I like this. But is it real? Have they been pressed yet to really adhere to this? Let's see. The next Sabbath, very next week, a week later, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. When these Jews saw the full extent of the gospel, that the gospel is not just for them, but for everybody, that's what did it for them. Maybe you've seen those types of things happen in your own life. The gospel is for everybody. And we go, yeah, that's great. It's for everybody. But what about them? Ugh. That's exactly what these Jews did. They see all these other people coming and they're going, uh-uh. Some will oppose. Some will listen. Some, after listening for a while, will begin to oppose. When they get down to the heart of the, honestly, when they get down to the heart of the goodness, the actual goodness of it, that it's this, really this good for everybody. That's what does it for some people. I think partially because they go, I mean, we're bad, but we're not that bad. And there's no world where I want to be put in the same category as that. We have to fight against this all the time. And Paul and Barnabas spoke up boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. This is Isaiah 49.6. He goes back to the Old Testament. And here they are. Maybe, maybe I wonder, because all of his quotes this time were out of Isaiah, or the majority of them were out of Isaiah. I wonder if they were reading Isaiah that, that Sabbath. Isaiah 49. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, that's not a new thing, Paul says. And now it's coming to pass. When the Gentiles heard this, they right? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This is huge. I love this part of the gospel. The people that are on the outskirts of society, when they hear the gospel and they believe it, they go, finally. Finally. Like beggars showing other beggars where there's bread. Finally. 
I'm not excluded from this. But did you catch what it said in verse 48? Interesting. Interesting. We'll come back to this in just a moment, but that's what it says. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Opposition increases. How do they respond? They shook the dust from their feet against them. And moved on. Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't get them down. Onward. Here the map for just a moment. So they move on from Antioch. They're gonna, this is where we're going to pick up next week. There's so many things that I could pull out of this. I thought about analyzing this sermon. But I want you to walk away with something. Number one is this. Like I said before, many might listen. I want to go down this route because I think some of you, you, you've heard the good news, you've realized how good it actually is, and you've thought to yourself, other people might want to know this. And maybe, just in our study of Acts, you finally realize, you know, it's my job, not just the pastor's job, it's my job to, to spread this good news to other people that don't believe it. And so I want to walk, I want you to walk away today encouraged, empowered to go out to your, across the street, to your neighbors, the relatives, to share the gospel. You're going to find this. Many will listen. So what should you do? Speak. Say things. And occasionally you may find that people will listen. They're really interested. So tell me more. We're going to explore this more and more as we go through Acts, how Paul's message, sometimes he adjusts it to the crowd that he's talking to. This is a very Jewish audience, so focuses in on the Old Testament. He never changes the gospel, though. But he's aware of the crowd and how he can talk to them. Some will oppose, though. Don't let this get you down. It's easy for it to get you down. It gets me down. I'm tell you right now, it gets me down. When I'm trying to share, and I, I get somebody that, maybe they oppose by just directly, maybe it's indirectly by undermining what I say or try to share... This, this country we live in today is full of people who have no idea what the Bible says, but they, they've got an opinion about God. Have you noticed that? It, and most of their thoughts, instead of starting off by saying, as it says in Scripture, what do they say? Well, I just think that... Well, I just think that... Well, I just think that... I don't want to be mean, but who cares what you think? You're going to base your eternity on a hunch? That seems like a really bad idea. But some will oppose. They won't have a leg to stand on. In fact, you see that with these Jews as, as, as Paul evidences what he's doing by Scripture by saying, hey, this is for the Gentiles as well. Instead of just trying to co- contradict what he's saying, they, they just start attacking him personally. They rise up people. Oh, he's bad. Let's get him out. And you may find that happens as well. 
Maybe it'll start off as a pleasant debate. Well, it says in the scripture this, and then it goes back and forth a little bit, and eventually, like, well, you're a jerk and you're stupid. Or maybe it may come across like this you're just judgmental. You know, I just don't think you should judge. Why just then? Sometimes sin is addressed, is it not? By very loving, a very loving Christ. Some will oppose. They'll begin throwing harsh accusations against you. Maybe that you're unloving. You're sitting there thinking, I'm only saying this because I do love you. Sometimes you may need to pray to God to remove the opposition. Feel free to pray for blindness. I would not suggest going as far as calling them son of the devil. But if you feel that the Spirit is leading you to do that, that may have, I, don't, I can't say it's not possible. Here's the thing. Some will believe. Some will believe. It feels rare. Some believe. Be faithful to the mission. Just be faithful to the mission and leave the outcomes to God. As many as are appointed, isn't that not what that scripture says? I wish sometimes that the ones that were appointed had a little icon floating above their head so I would know. Or maybe the opposite. Somebody's going to be a poser. Maybe they have a little grumpy face floating above their head. And I know it's going to be pointless to talk to this guy. I'm not even going to try. God didn't do that though, did he? Did he do that for, for Paul? And so Paul has to encounter all the various responses because he believes, he knows. Some will believe. I don't know who they are. So what do you do? You begin spreading the word of God. Think of the parable of the sower and the seed. Some's going to fall on good ground. A lot of it's going to fall among the thorns and the thistles, right, and get choked out. Some of the word of God is going to fall on uh, stony ground. You know, some are going to fall by the wayside and Satan's going to snatch it up right away. But sometimes it lands on a heart that's ready to hear his word. The word of God is going to take root. It's going to grow. It's going to produce fruit in that person's life. And you don't know who it's going to be. So what do you, what's your job? Stay on mission. Share the word. Every opportunity you get. Look for those opportunities. Make those opportunities if you can. Pray for the mission. Pray to be sent. Pray where you should go. Pray for those who oppose. Study your Bibles. The more you know about Jesus the more you can say about Jesus. That's just common sense. You won't be disappointed, by the way. The more you learn about him, the more amazing he is. And the more you learn about Jesus, the more you'll be able to say about Jesus. Speak. Create opportunities to speak. There are actions, I think, today that offer up opportunities to speak. And I think one of the biggest ones that... I, in my life that I've noticed is just living and being different. 
there are many work situations that many of you have encountered where there's a lot of backbiting, backstabbing, talking about people behind their back. And if you're just not like that, sometimes that offers up opportunities. If you just go to work and you're just kind and nice and gracious, somebody at some point might go, you're different, you weirdo. What's going on with you? And you go, like Paul, I've been waiting for somebody to ask. I've been waiting for this. Look for those opportunities. Be ready. And when they come, grab them. And speak. Y'all... All the times between, that's when you're reading your Bible, learning more about Jesus. You're coming to church, learning more about Jesus. You're coming to Sunday school, right, learning more about Jesus. You're reading Bible studies. You're going about, you're trying to learn more about Jesus. And then when the time comes, you're just trusting that the Spirit of God is going to give you the exact right words to say. I can't tell you how many times in my life there's been things that I've been studying. And I go, wow, that's an amazing truth about Jesus. And that week, somebody walks up to me and they go, I've been struggling with this. And I go, I was just studying that. Anybody else had a, something like that ever happen? Some of you are not in your head yet. Yeah. Fill your mind. Fill your mind. And then look for the, and when the opportunity comes, you're, you'll be ready. And you won't ever be disappointed sharing this Jesus, but then leave the outcomes in God's hands. He's going to take some of those little bits of the Word of God that you spread out, and some of those He's going to carry, He's going to plant in a heart. He's going to bring it to life. And you can sit back like these disciples and rejoice. Rejoice, even though there's some opposition, sometimes a lot of opposition. But rejoice when those few little seeds plant and land and grow. This area that Paul is in is called, the whole area is called Galatia, which he eventually writes the book of Galatians too. It's not just one city. Churches are started in these places, and they grow and they develop. I'm going to close in prayer right now. And when I do, as I close, I want to pray for each and every one of us that God will give you an opportunity this week. That's what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray that God will give you some opportunity this week to share the good news of Jesus. I'm also going to pray that when that opportunity comes, I'm, I'm just going to ask that God will orchestrate it in such a way that it will be right up your alley. So if, you're, if your knowledge of Jesus is like right here, I'm going to pray that whatever opportunity arises, that's all you need to share. So I'm going to, I'm, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm going to pray that God will bring that right. I think he's going to do that anyway, but I'm going to pray that God will bring those opportunities in right where you're at and right with what you know. Some of you, your opportunity to share Jesus may just simply be, I've been freed of my sin because Jesus died on the cross for me. And I can't tell you how great it is knowing that all of my sin has been forgiven in Him. That may be the extent, that may be it right there. I just know that. i got a bunch of other stuff to work out. I'm a pretty screwed up individual. But man, Jesus has saved me. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for that. That may be the one little piece of truth that that person needed. You mean Jesus saved you from all your sin? Yeah. Feel free to go, I don't know the detail, but you can come ask my pastor. He'll explain it better than I am. May, that may not be true, by the way. 
You might explain it way better than I am. I'm doing it. In fact, I just messed up when I said that. Just then. I'm going to pray for you that God will bring those opportunities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to take a moment here and pray for myself and for those in this room. God, I just want to ask that this week you would present an opportunity to share the gospel. God, I pray in addition to that, Lord, that whatever type of response we get, whether it's listen or opposition or maybe even belief, or whatever it is, God, I pray that you bring those opportunities in such a way that it would be right where we're at and where we're ready and able to share what we know about you. God, I pray that you would orchestrate those things. Lord, I, my hope is that with each and every one of us going out this week, there might be one of us that comes back next week and is able to share. Maybe it's listening. They'll be able to come back and say, God opened up a door and I, I shared and they listened. I don't know if they believe it, they listened. God, some may come back and say, I shared and they opposed it every step of the way. Or maybe some might come back Maybe one might come back and say, God opened a door. In my pitiful endeavor, I shared what I knew. And that person believed. I pray that you'd work these things out. Use us, Lord. We just want to be part of the big picture. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.